Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning. Let's try it one more time. You guys are a little sleepy, I can tell. Good morning. Great. So kids, you're dismissed. You're more than welcome to head on out to your classrooms. And I just want to say, uh, I was listening to us sing corporately together about who our God is and what he has done. And I just want to say, I am so thankful to be here this morning with you, worshiping God alongside you. I feel like I don't say that enough, and sometimes the elders together, we don't say that enough, but I just love being here with you all, worshiping God. It's so good for me, for my heart, for my soul, and for my trust in Jesus. So I just want to say thank you. So this morning, we're going to be starting a new sermon series, uh, and in this sermon series, we're going to be walking through something that we actually recite every single week. We're going to be talking through the Apostles' Creed. And I'm really excited. <laughs> I know, whoa. <laughs> Watch out. Um, so, my name is Joel Waymack. I'm one of the elders. And one of the things that I love to do is I love to think through who our God is, what he has done, parsing through just the nuances of his goodness and his greatness in this world and how he has worked. And in doing that, I love to talk about things like theology and things like doctrine. And sometimes those are going to be scary words for us. But I'm really excited about this sermon series in particular because I feel like through focusing on the Apostles' Creed, what we get to do is we get to take a lot of the issues within our society, which are important, and a lot of the issues that are within the church, which are important, and we get to kind of push them to the side for a second and say, what is it that we believe? What truly matters? When we talk about what we trust in, in both life and death, what is that that we are trusting in? And that's what we find in the Apostles' Creed. And that's why I'm so excited for us to be walking through it together for a few weeks in looking and understanding who is this God that we worship and what has he done? So with that, let me pray for us and we'll dive in. Father God, I thank you that you are good and gracious to us, your people. That you have called us out of sin and rebellion and death. And that through Jesus, you have called us into life and goodness and fellowship and joy. I pray that this morning, as we dive in and we think through what is the Apostles' Creed, as we think through what do we believe and how do we believe it, I pray that, Spirit, you will work in our minds, that we will understand more about who you are, what you have done in this world, how you've created us to live and work and be, how we learn and how we grow. But I pray that in all those things, as you're helping to teach us, Spirit, I pray that you also work on our affections so that as we see your greatness and your goodness and your love for us through Christ, that we will in turn love you more. And I pray this for us as your church and for all Christians around the world as we continue to affirm this one faith that we have in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 
So before we actually dive in and start looking at the Apostles' Creed, let me ask you a question. What do you believe the Bible is? It's an interesting question, and there's, I would say there's a lot loaded in the answer to that. If you're a member here at Refuge, yeah, when you decided to become a member, you actually signed our statement of faith. Our mem- through, through the member's covenant, you signed our, our statement of faith, and one of the statements within our statement of faith actually affirms what we believe about Scripture. It says this, The Scriptures are inspired by God and are therefore authoritative in all matters pertaining to right living and right belief. They are necessary and sufficient for the believer to know God, understand the gospel, and live a life of obedient faith. I would, I would guess that almost all Christians around the world would say to that type of statement, yea and amen. At least I would hope so. When we think about the Bible, we see it as Christians as an authoritative measure in our lives that speaks to who God is, what he has done, and through that, it speaks to right living and right belief and right practice in our own lives as Christians. So that's good, and we affirm those things, but what is that right belief that the Bible points to? So kind of going down that rabbit hole a little bit more, when we say that the Bible points to right belief, how would you explain that? So I was trying to think this past week, what would happen if you went up and talked to someone who had never had any exposure to Christianity, doesn't know anything about Jesus, doesn't know anything about God, and you said, okay, if you really want to learn about the Christian faith, I'm going to give you this thousand-page book. You can go ahead and read it, and you can understand everything that you need to know about life and faith. I think that would be a little hard. I don't know about you, but when I read through the Bible, I find it both interesting and compelling, and in some parts, confusing and difficult to understand. And this makes sense. When we think about what the Bible is, kind of in its parts, we realize that it's actually a diverse collection of writings. There is ancient narrative in there. There's some really strange Hebrew poetry. There's wisdom literature, there's law codes, there's letters, there's visions and revelations, there's biographies, there's all sorts of various genres of literature within the Bible. It's a diverse set of writings. And if you just jumped in not knowing anything, I think it would be really confusing to try and understand who this God is and what he was doing. In terms of authorship, when we think about the Bible, it's written by some very diverse people. There's, almost, there's over 40 people that have written the writings that we find in the Bible, and they come from incredibly diverse backgrounds, from princes to fishermen to kings to tax collectors to prophets to religious teachers. It covers the whole gamut of life when we think about the authors that we find in the Bible. And not only that, they are very diverse in terms of the time period and cultures in which they lived in. The Bible, the Bible was written over a period of 1,400 or more years. To give some perspective there, that's five to six times the age of the United States. So let's just think about that for a second. That's a long period of time. And then pile on top of that, that the audience that these authors were writing to is incredibly diverse. 
from a people just freed from slavery in Egypt, wondering who this God was that saved them and what they should believe about him, to followers of Jesus in the multi-ethnic, multicultural center of the ancient world in Rome. These are two vastly different audiences that we're talking about. So the writings of the Bible are incredibly diverse. And if you said, yay and amen, that the Bible contains everything that we need for right belief and right practice, I would say, yes. And there's no way for us to just open up the Bible and understand those things. And I'll, I'll say that with complete honesty and sincerity as one of your pastors. I think that would be incredibly difficult and unfair to try and do. So if we believe the testimony that's given in the Bible by God through people, and that it is, as we said in our statement of faith, necessary and sufficient for the believer to know God, understand the gospel, and live a life of obedient faith, then how does that happen? How does the Bible do that in our lives and in the life of us corporately as a church? So this is the important part. We don't understand God's word in a vacuum. You and I don't go and sit in solitary confinement for 10 years reading our Bible over and over and over again trying to glean what God is saying to us. That's not what we do. You and I sit under the teaching of other believers. Every single Sunday when we come together as a group, we're sitting under the teaching of other believers who have been thinking through and learning and growing in this same faith that comes out of God's word. And they have sat under the, the teaching of the generation of believers that have gone before them, who have sat under the teaching of the generation of believers that have gone before them, on and on and on, until we get down to the apostles, who learned from Jesus, from the word of God incarnate himself. When we talk about what do we believe and how do we believe it through the Bible, we do that because we sit underneath the teaching of others who are helping us understand and grow in this faith that we see coming out of the pages of scripture. So what, what is this teaching? What is being delivered to us? Well, I, before we kind of jump into that, because once again, I think that's summarized through the Apostles' Creed, I want to open up to, to Luke. Uh, so this is, this is going to come from the very end of the Gospel of Luke, so this biography of Jesus, the account of Jesus' life. So this is Luke chapter 24. It's kind of long, so if you want to sit back and get comfortable, that's okay too. Uh, so this is Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Um, and listen for two things. One, listen for the summary of faith that these disciples give. And two, listen to what Jesus does. So that very day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, Two of them, two of his disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, 
answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? Thanks, Jesus. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that, he had, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who went with us went to the tomb. Sorry, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses, that's the very beginning of the Bible, and all the prophets, literally the whole Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Side note, I wish I would have been there for that. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as, as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This story, <laughs> I love it. Every single time I read it, I chuckle. One, Jesus' statements. <laughs> but two, just these disciples were there. They saw Jesus crucified. He was in the tomb. They, they spoke like, this is, this is what we believed, what we saw, what we hoped in. And then Jesus opens up the scriptures and teaches these disciples. He shows them how to properly discern scripture. He teaches them how to understand and read it well. They didn't really know how to do that at this point. And this is the, the great thing. These disciples then go back to Jerusalem, meet with the rest of the disciples, and tell them all that Jesus had taught them. And it's through these disciples that the church goes out and becomes planted in the world, and it's through this teaching that Jesus has delivered that we, throughout all these generations, believe the same things. When we talk about trusting in Scripture, trusting what is written there, we trust it and hope in it. We believe it because the generations that have gone before us have delivered this faith once and for all to us, the saints. So these teachings, these teachings that we find given to us by other believers, they help us understand scripture. 
And many times, these teachings that we find that have been passed down generation and gener- from generation to generation to generation to help us understand God's word, generally we find that they are summaries of our faith. They don't replace scripture, but they help us organize our thoughts, the main ideas, the main points of life and faith that we find in scripture. Remember back, scripture is very diverse. Genres, authors, time frame, audiences. And these summaries of biblical truth help us frame and understand our reading as we're going through, as we're reading through Leviticus and the law, and the law code there, we're able to keep in mind, okay, this is a different time, different period, but I see the elements of what God has done by turning back to this summary of faith that I believe. It's helpful. So in the life of the church, these type of summaries have generally been termed confessions, confessions of faith. Actually, every single, every single Sunday morning when we gather together, we actually have a confession of faith that we talk about at the very beginning of the service. We confess that we see in the Bible a story of four, of four parts, of creation, of rebellion, of redemption, and restoration. This is actually a confession that we as a church hold and we talk about every single week as we start. Then also, at the end of our service, we join in a different confession. It's a creedal confession. It's the Apostles' Creed. And in this creed, we summarize the key points of our faith, the key points that we hold to and look to in life and in death. It's summaries of faith like these that help us as Christians understand what God has said, what he is doing, not only in ancient times as we're reading in the Bible, but in our own lives as well. So let's focus in for a little bit on the Apostles' Creed. I promise we're finally there. So the Apostles' Creed is an ancient summary of faith. And when we look at it, it's really geared to help us understand what are the key points of faith that we as Christians are called to believe. Some people say that it's uh, majoring on the majors. What are the most important things that we believe? It's important to note that as we look through each of these points in subsequent weeks, we're going to be pulling directly from Scripture. It's not like we're saying this is something that was delivered to us, it's completely extra-biblical, and therefore we're going to use it to interpret Scripture. But it's actually the opposite. This is a summary of faith that has been drawn from the pages of Scripture that Christians have agreed this is what Scripture says is most important and therefore acts as a guide for us as we then go back and read. Having summaries of faith like this just makes sense for us. So I was trying to think of an example, and I, I, was, <laughs> I was reminded that pretty much all that we do in life, all that we, the, the way that we communicate is through summaries. Uh, have you ever told someone about an event that happened in your life? I was thinking, like, if my wife and I went on a vacation, and then we had another couple over, and they asked us, what did you guys do on your vacation? And my wife started saying, well, you know, we flew into the Miami airport and then we went and laid on the beach for the first day and it was great, just soaking up the sun. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. No, we woke up at 6.15 in the morning when our daughter jumped, us, jumped on us in bed. 
we got up, we brushed our teeth, then we started to make sure that we had every, all of our bags packed correctly, on and on and on. First off, I'm sure that the, the people that asked this question, their eyes would glaze over and be kind of the end of the discussion. But also, it doesn't make sense. When we ask questions, we're asking generally for summary statements that tell us what's important. And that's exactly what we're doing when we talk about the Apostles' Creed. What's important? When we want to draw from the Bible, what is most important for life and for faith? What do we see there? Not only do we do this in normal life, but also the authors of Scripture did this as well in summarizing faith. What is most important to be communicated? At the end of John's Gospel, so this is John chapter 21, verse 25, John says this, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John himself said, I think these are the key points of faith that I want this next generation of believers to know about. Summaries just make sense in how we communicate. And this summary, the Apostles' Creed, is incredibly important in our lives and the life of the church. I remember uh, teaching an essentials class, so our pathway to membership class, a while ago. And I generally teach the class where we talk about what do we believe as Christians and what do we believe here at Refuge in particular. And one of the things that we always talk about is we, we hold to, we subscribe to these ecumenical creeds, that means these church-wide creeds, because we think that they're, at, they're good and helpful summaries of life and faith. And I remember afterward, this sweet old lady came up and said to me, Joel, I really like this church, but I need to tell you that I believe in no creed but Christ and no book but the Bible. And I was like, okay. Pause for a moment. That statement you just made is a creed. I believe that there is no creed but Christ. What do you mean by that? We always subscribe to beliefs, and when there's a void in our life around a summary or a belief, it's going to be filled one way or the other. We use the Apostles' Creed to summarize the biblical faith that we have, and it acts as an anchor point for understanding the key aspects of our life. I love the graphic for our sermon series. I feel like it's really helpful when we try and think through what are we talking about when we talk about the Apostles' Creed. A suitcase is generally used to carry around important items whenever we're traveling. No matter where you go, you have you know, your underwear, you have your clothes, you have your toothbrush, you're good to go. That's kind of what the Apostles' Creed is like for us as believers. No matter where we go, we have this important summary of the key points of our faith that we can pull out of our suitcase and talk about when we need them. It also acts as an effective help for us when we encounter difficult times, when we need to be reminded, what is my hope in this life? We can pull out these key points and we can trust them in our own lives. So the Apostles' Creed itself is, like I said, an ancient creed. It's actually in its earliest 
form, it was known as the Old Roman Creed. And it's been used by the church for a long time. The Old Roman Creed was actually uh, written and started to be utilized in the second century after Jesus. That means that that's the 100s, if like me, you have to kind of think about what does second century mean. In the 100s, this creed started to be used in the life of the church to formulate what do we believe, what's important. Contrary to popular belief, the Apostles' Creed was not written by the Apostles. The term apostle is being used in the title of this creed because this is the apostolic faith that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation to summarize what do, what do we believe. And it's a creed specifically because the very first line in Latin, actually the very first word in Latin is credo, which means I believe. It's, it's the first statement that we make when we say this creed together. And most importantly, this was used as a baptismal creed in the early church. Whenever someone said, this is what I hold to, this understanding of Jesus who died for me and for my sins, who was raised to life, I trust and I identify with him. They would memorize this type of, this creed, and then before they were baptized, they would recite it to the rest of the church to say, I affirm this truth with you. I stand in solidarity with you. This is my hope. This is what I believe alongside all the other members of this church. And they would take the plunge. In the early church, a lot of the creeds that we have, like the Nicene Creed or the Athanasian Creed, were actually written to combat heresy. But that's not the case when we come to the Apostles' Creed. This is the faith, once and for all, delivered to the saints by the apostles, trusted in and hoped in generation after generation, that this is our hope in life and death, what we see God doing in his word through the Bible. So I admit, whenever we recite the Apostles' Creed together at the end of our service, sometimes I just kind of say it by rote from memory. And when I do that, we get to the end of the creed and I think, oh man, I was really distracted by my kids. I was really distracted by what I'm going to be work this week. I was really distracted by lots of different things. And I always regret when I just say it by rote. Because when I recite the creed and I think about it, and I think hard about what I'm saying, the beliefs that are held within it, I find that the Holy Spirit is doing something in me. When I recite the creed and I think about these words of belief that I'm saying, the Holy Spirit is bolstering my faith, reminding me that it is the Father, Son, and Spirit who is at, in, at work in this world, working in me. It reminds me that God is the creator and sustainer, that he is the one to whom I am beholden, who is the authority over all life. It reminds me of the great love that he has for me, that the son willingly took on flesh, came into this world, that he lived a life of honesty and goodness before God, and yet he died a brutal death on the cross. 
he truly died, he descended to the dead, and then one day he rose again from the dead. That he defeated the curse of sin and death for me. When I recite the creed, I'm reminded one day Jesus is coming back in judgment. Everything will not stay like it is. He's going to come back to judge all people. Am I trusting in him? And as I recite the creed, I'm bolstered as I contemplate what the Spirit is doing in the church in this time period. I think about what does it mean for me to hold this same faith with believers around the world? What does it mean that I truly trust in the forgiveness of sins that God brings? What does it mean that I'm looking to the resurrection and the everlasting life to come? Whenever I recite the creed alongside all of you, God is at work in me, reminding me, this is what I hold dear. Reciting the creed not only wars against the distractions and the lies in this world, but for me it also instills the hope of redemption that we have through Christ. I want you to know, when we recite the creed together, it's not just me hoping, enduring in these things, but I am bolstered by the faith of my brothers and sisters, by all of you, when we recite the creed together. I need to hear every single week as I'm standing next to you that you believe these things too. My faith is bolstered. My faith is encouraged when I stand next to you and you say, I believe this too. My hope is that your faith is also encouraged as we together say this every single week. And we say, this is what unites us. This is what's important. This is Christ for us. And the beautiful thing is, as we do this as a local body, we also join in with the saints around the world proclaiming this is the same faith that we all hold. Around the world, churches in various places with various languages are also reciting this same creed as the center of our faith, what we truly affirm. When the pandemic began, the, the elders got together and we, we were concerned about the unity of faith within our church. God has created us as relational beings to be face-to-face, -face, communicating with one another, living life alongside one another. And when we went to fully virtual services, we were very concerned. We were concerned about your lives and our lives, our faith, our practice. And so one of the things that we decided to do when the pandemic started was to start reciting the Apostles' Creed together. We hadn't done that as a church on a regular basis before that point. And we decided it was important for us, even when we are apart, to be reminded of this is the faith that we hold and we're reciting it together. Now that we're back together again, every single week when we recite it, I want you to know that I am encouraged and I hope you are encouraged in your faith as we affirm these things as true, as we affirm these things as what God has revealed to us. So in summary, the Apostles' Creed is our faith distilled from Scripture, given to us by the Apostles, taught to us by generation after generation of the church, and it, it encompasses what we are to hope in, in life and death, that this is our triune God at work 
in our lives. I'm really excited over the next few months to be walking through the creed together, to be unpacking it and thinking through it. And I hope that it's helpful for you as well as we start to marinate and think through what is this that we're actually reciting every single week. So to end, instead of closing us in prayer, I thought it would be more helpful for us to instead stand and recite the Apostles' Creed together. So with that, I invite you to stand and we'll recite this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can be seated. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.